We're in a series called The Fence. Are you on it? Are you sitting on the fence? I think all of us have had those moments in our lives where, where we were sitting on a fence about an issue. We had to make a decision, and we either, we either made a good decision or a bad decision. Hopefully, the decision was based on, on Scripture, was based on facts, was based on logic, and not just based on an impulse that we had. But oh so often, <laughs> that's not the case, oh so often, it's based on an impulse. We just jump off that fence, and we find, it, find out that we're on the wrong side of the fence. And this series is intended to try to hit off some of those uh, some of those circumstances that we all have in our lives. If, we, if you were honest with me, every one of you has been on the fence, or maybe you're on the fence today about something. I think Walt and I have heard throughout this uh, series people that would come up after, after the message and say, yeah, I'm sitting on the fence today. Yeah, I really need to make a decision. And we want to help you make some wise decisions. So we chose some uh, characters in the Bible that most of us are kind of familiar with. We may not be as familiar with some of them as the others. To use as our examples uh, to see how it is that we can uh, get off the fence and what getting off the fence on each side might look like. Today we're going to look at fence sitter number four in our series. This is the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. The story of the rich young ruler is found in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you're welcome this afternoon or sometime uh, this week to pull up the others that we're not going to use today and, and compare. I always, always encourage you to compare the Gospels to see what's different. Um, we're, 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 we have accounts from three different people, actually four different people counting John, and they see things differently. If, if there's a, a crime that takes place here in our parking lot, uh, and several of you see what's going on, when the police come, they're going to get entirely different stories from a couple of you. And you'll think, were you at the same event I was at? Did you see what I saw? And it's no different with the Gospels. It doesn't mean that one's wrong and one's right. It's just through the eyes of, of the beholder. Okay, so we're going to use the Mark story today. It's found in Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. And I like to tell you every time that we believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God, the only rule we have for our faith and our life. So listen to God's Word here. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 23. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, 
Go sell everything, everything you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then he launches into uh, a little more teaching on, on how difficult it is if we have money to do the right thing sometimes. Well, there's a couple of things. If you look at this account and the account in Mark and the, um, Matthew and the account in Luke, the first thing you'll notice is we don't have this guy's name. We have no idea what his name was. But Matthew tells us, we call him the rich young ruler. Matthew tells us that he had great wealth. That's the actual term that Matthew uses. So that's where the rich comes from. Uh, Luke defines him as a ruler. And the word that's used there for ruler doesn't mean like a king or a governor. It's ruler, that word that's used, is a, a, a synagogue leader. He was one of the leaders, one of the, the elders, if you will, in, in the synagogue, the local synagogue there. So he was rich, he was young, he was ruler. He was both affluent and powerful. Kind of the, the person that we're looking for in a church, isn't that right? Don't we want the, the young, rich, powerful person to be a member of our church? Yeah, that's, that's the one we want. And he even came up asking Jesus, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Today we'd call this guy, I guess, an overachiever. An overachiever. A yuppie. Trying to move up in the world. But he asked that great question concerning eternal life. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Haven't we, we maybe haven't asked that, but haven't we all thought that? Haven't you thought that? At some point in your life, didn't you think, okay, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of God? What do I have to do to have eternal salvation, eternal life in heaven? What is it that I have to do? And he had enough nerve to run up to Jesus, fall at his feet, and ask that question. And the language that he uses here um, indicates that, that he expected a response from Jesus. And, and what, what he expected, it, it, in, in Greek there's a particular verb form that's used when you kind of know what the answer is going to be. You're just kind of rhetorically asking the question to have the person give you the answer. And he was expecting Jesus to say, okay, this is the, the one thing you have to do. You do this, and you're in. He thought all of his bases were covered, I believe. Jesus' response to him, though, was like throwing a, a bucket of cold water in his face. It wasn't meant so much to dampen his enthusiasm about about um, this eternal life question as it was to kind of set straight the, 
the spiritual realities that really make up what is going to give you eternal life. So in, in verse 18, I believe it is here, uh, Jesus begins to answer him, and he says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This is part of the Jewish culture, too. Every rabbi knew that people were not supposed to compare God's goodness to anything else, to any person, to any thing, to any uh, beauty, nature. Nothing was to be compared to God's goodness. And Jesus says, no one is good except God. Why, why do you call me good? Well, in essence, when the man called him good, he was calling him God. Nikki Gumbel says that there's one word difference between good and God, a one-letter difference between good and God, the extra O. One-letter difference between devil and evil. Why do you call me good? Only God can be good. And Jesus went on to tell him what was, what was necessary for eternal life there in uh, verse uh, 19. Knowing full well that this synagogue ruler knew these things, he just repeated, him for it, repeated them for him. He said, uh, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. So, how are you doing? He says, kind of under, implied, I guess, in what he was saying. How are you doing at those? How are you doing at those? Well, if you count them up, let me see, that's one, two, three, four, five, six. Seems to me that I remember there were ten of them. Jesus conveniently left out a couple because he wanted him to think about those. He, he probably hadn't committed murder or committed adultery. And you may say the same thing. Oh, I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job keeping the Ten Commandments. It's just that one that I have trouble with. Murder. I, 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 I try not to commit much murder. Or I've, I've cut down on my stealing. I don't steal as much as I used to. But there's a couple of big ones that, that he left out that he wanted this man to think about. As we read this, I think we have to think of ourselves. Am, am I keeping the commandments? How are you doing at keeping the commandments? the full list of them. Am I keeping them? Really? Am I? Deuteronomy 30:15 says those who keep the law will live. And it goes on to say those who don't keep the law will die. Those who keep the law will live. Understood in that statement, again, by, by the Jewish rabbis and by the people at that time, was 
keeping the whole law, not a portion of it, the whole law, the law from A to Z, the law from, as they would say, from Aleph to Tav, everything, everything. If you break one point of the law, you've broken the law. Are you keeping all those commandments? Well, he says um, he hadn't murdered. He hadn't committed adultery. He hadn't stolen. He's thinking these things through in his mind. He hadn't lied. He hadn't failed to honor his father and mother. So in, in verse 20, he replies, Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I've kept every one of these since I was a boy. Since my coming of age, since my bar mitzvah, I've kept them all. At least the ones that were listed there. And Jesus in verse 21 looked at him and loved him. Don't you know that he loved him? Here's a guy trying to keep the commandments as best he knows how. And Jesus loved him for that. And he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus is saying, okay, keeping those six commandments is great. But you want to be a Christ follower? You want to spend eternity with me in heaven? Well, there's one thing that I want you to do. You ask me the question, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, there's one more thing that you need to do. Just, just one. Just one. I'm not asking much. Just one thing. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And it struck me last night, as I was reading this the last time before today, he says go sell everything you have. He meant sell everything you have, but he didn't say give everything to the poor. He says go sell everything you have and give to the poor. He didn't say you have to give it all up. Give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. We, we looked back in the Sermon on the Mount series that we did about this treasure that we store up in heaven where, where it can't be spoiled. And, and we can send it ahead, you know? We talk about IRAs and all this other stuff. We can be sending treasure to heaven now. It can be waiting there for us. But if we think, okay... I'm getting toward the end of my life and I need to get serious about this thing. We can't, we don't have pockets when we go. There's no U-Haul trailer behind the hearse. How are we going to get it there? The only way you can get it there is to send it ahead. Send your treasure ahead to heaven. And you do that by giving to other people. People that are less fortunate than you. Why do you think Jesus asked him to give up his riches? Why? Why? 
Jesus could see his heart. And he knew the one thing, the one thing that stood in the way of him and this rich young ruler. Jesus even, in essence, commended him for his piety, for, for the way that he kept the commandments. He wasn't condemning him for what he was doing. He just said, well, there's one more thing that you lack. Just one. So this man's number one problem was materialism. Anybody here have that problem? Materialism. Madonna does. She wrote a song about it. The band will be doing it after we get through. <laughs> Materialism. The reason that Jesus talks about money and materialism so much in the Bible is it was as much a problem in those days as it is for us today. Materialism isn't something we thought up in the 21st century. It's been around forever. So he was breaking the first commandment, not one that was listed. Exodus 20 Verse 3 is the first commandment. If you want to look at all ten of them, turn to Exodus 20, beginning at verse 3, and look at like the, the next, uh, I think down to verse 12 or 13 is, is the ten commandments. The first commandment is this. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, I mean, you read that and you think, well, I don't, I don't worship idols. I don't, I don't have little statues at home that, that I bow to. So what's he talking about here? I'm, I'm good, you know. I don't have to worry about that. See, gods take on a lot of different forms. It's not just some um, sculptured piece of marble or granite or wood or rock or something that you sit on the mantle and, and bow to. Gods can take any form. Materialism is one of those forms. So what is your God? What is your God? No gods before the one true living God was the requirement. And I think this is I think this is one of the blanks I put on your sheet there. Total dependence, meaning dependence on God, is necessary for entering the kingdom of God. Total dependence. The reason we accumulate wealth, the reason we have so much materialism in our lives, if we boil it right down to, to the root cause, is... We're afraid that we're going to have to take care of ourselves. And we want to make sure there's something there to take care of ourselves with. And when we do that, we're not trusting that God is big enough to take care of us. We're not trusting that His arm can stretch out long enough to give us the things that we need. 
we suffer from independence. We want to be independent. I mean, this is an independent nation, isn't it? We think that's so wonderful to be independent. Everything in this book is about dependence. He wants us to learn and to practice daily dependence, total dependence on Him. And He's, in essence, saying, that's the way to eternal life. You want eternal life? Trust in me totally for everything. Now, He's not condemning, and he, He's truly not condemning uh, wealth. Wealth is not what he's talking about here. There, there are examples in the Bible of some wealthy, wealthy people. Abraham, for example, was wealthy. Uh, Boaz was wealthy. Job was wealthy. Some great examples of wealthy people. And wealth is not the problem. Here's the big idea for today. Jesus always demands that those who come to Him put away their gods, whether they be possessions, position, performance, power, another person, or a passion. Put away those gods. Put them away and depend totally on me. Now, in Mark uh, 10.22, we read this. After this explanation about go sell everything you have and give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. At this, the man's face fell. And the word that is used for fell there is the same root word as, uh, as clouds uh, forming uh, in the sky as a storm is coming. The clouds don't, I mean, you don't blink your eyes and all of a sudden it's stormy and rainy and thunder and lightning. You see that coming in the distance. And it begins to get darker and thicker and darker and thicker and darker and thicker, and then, then the storm comes. So it indicates that as Jesus was talking to him about these, as he's saying you need to sell everything and give to the poor, the man's processing. And as he's processing, he's thinking, oh, my. Oh, I see. Well, he's saying that he, he's saying that I've got to I've got I've really got to get rid of everything. Sell it and give to the poor. I can't do that. I can't do that. I want to. I, I, I really I really want, I just can't. I just can't. And his face became saddened. And he went away 
Don't miss this point. Jesus didn't go after him. Here's a rich, young ruler that we want in our church. He's got it all happening. A lot of influence. He knows people out there that he can bring. He's got money. He's got uh, uh, influence. He's the leader. We don't have to train him. He's already a leader. He's exactly what we want in our church. And we tell him what it is that he has to do to be a part of the church. He says, I can't do that. Well, Jesus doesn't run after him. He didn't say, wait, 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 wait just a minute. Come back here, let's talk a little bit. We can negotiate. I really want you here. No, Jesus lets him go. Hard. He was overcome with profound sadness because he had so much money. So much wealth, and he couldn't possibly bring himself to get rid of it. Again, it wasn't the wealth that was the problem. It was the tight fist holding on to the wealth that was the problem. We, have, we ask every week for people to come up for prayer. After the, after the service or during the service or before the service. I mean, we'll pray with you whenever. And one of the models that we use at Renovation Church is we ask you to put your hands out. Hold your hands out to receive what God's going to give you. Well, yeah, it's, there's a receiving going on there, whether it's for healing or whether it's for reconciliation of some relationship or whether it's for a spiritual gift that you're uh, seeking. Your hands are out to receive that. But even more is your hands are out because you're not holding on to anything. There's symbolism in that. I'm, I'm giving it all up. Won't you come and fill these hands? That's why we have that model. In the rich young ruler's eyes, giving it up would be a loss. A loss. If he got to keep it, that was a win, right? What does a win look like? I had to search long and hard to find an example for a win. I mean, we think we're on top of the world when we win that contest, when we get that divorce and it's over, and when we... You know, so many things in our lives that we think, ah, I've won. Finally, it's behind me. Take a look at this clip and just see how happy you can be when it's over. There's not always that happy, good ending that we're looking for. We get there and it's like, what? I thought I would be satisfied. The things of this world do not satisfy. You have a million dollars? Why don't you go for a million and one? Boy, that would make you happy. 
If he had three million, that would be, that'd be the goal. Three million. Well, that didn't do it either. Well, what about ten? If I could get ten, I could be happy. It never happens. You're always chasing the carrot that's always just beyond your reach. It doesn't have to be just money. It can be anything else. Anything other than the one true living God. And the rich young ruler turned this down. Dante, uh, in his writings, refers to this as the great refusal. The great refusal. Jesus offered him eternal life, and he turned it down. And I guess we ought to give you a couple of points of clarification here so you don't go home and say, well, George said this. The first one is, Jesus was not saying, he wasn't making a case for universal asceticism. In other words, for giving up all that you have, living in a convent somewhere, alone, never to interact with another person for the rest of your life. He wasn't even saying that money wealth is wrong. He's not condemning the wealthy. The wealthy have a place in the kingdom of God. He just says it's tougher for them. You know going in that if you've got money, got wealth, it's tougher for you than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's pretty tough. I don't know whether you've ever seen a camel or whether you've ever seen the eye of a needle, but those two don't go together very easily. And the second thing he was saying was he's not recommending poverty for his people either. I mean, what would be the point? What would be the point? Poverty doesn't deliver one from the love of money. Just because you're poor doesn't mean you don't it probably makes you want to have money that much more if you're completely uh, poverty-ridden. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money. The love for money. It's that heart motive about the money. That's the problem. It's that heart motive for the money that Jesus saw in the rich young ruler. And he was trying to teach him the lesson. This is what you got to do. Sell everything. Everything you have, give it up and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. I would encourage you to make today, yesterday was baby day, make today your declaration of dependence day. April 29th, declaration of dependence day for you and your life. Start today. 
And it may not be the money thing. It may very well be another God that you're holding on to. You know what it is. I mean, you don't have to search too deep to find out what it is. You're sitting here right now thinking, oh yeah, it's that. Make yourself dependent on God and independent of that thing. Elizabeth Elliot once, once uh, spoke at a meeting I was at, and she said this statement that was just seared in my memory. I will never, ever forget it. She says, A sacrifice isn't a sacrifice until it's a sacrifice. Sacrificial giving is what this book's all about. Sacrificial giving of ourselves. Sacrificial giving of our emotions. Sacrificial giving of our relationships. Sacrificial giving of our willingness to extend forgiveness to other people. Sacrificial giving to the poor in our time and our efforts. Sacrificial, but a sacrifice isn't a sacrifice. Don't tell me you sacrificed. A sacrifice is not a sacrifice until it's a sacrifice. So I don't know where you are on this fence. I don't know what your idol today is. It could be, could be your possessions, could be money. It could be a closet full of clothes. It could be more shoes than Imelda Marcos. Some of you don't even know who she is. Uh, it could be, it could be land. You want that one more piece of land, or that special piece of land that you've just got to have. It could be position. Maybe you will do anything. Sell your soul in order to have a nameplate on your desk or on your chest that has a title on it that means something. Oh, I, I want that title. Wow. I'll do anything for that. I've been there, done that, backstabbed the corporate world. It's a rat race. And when you get that title, then of course there's another title above it that you got to get. That's the next, next step. It's like Boy Scout badges or something gone awry. It may be authority. Maybe that's the thing that you need to give up. The authority that you have over other people. Co-workers. The authority you have over your spouse your children. Maybe it's performance. If I could just do that one more thing, like the rich young ruler, if I could do that one thing. But Jesus says it's not about doing, it's been done. 
it's been done. If I could just go to that one Bible study, you know, I need to go to one more Bible study and I'll be right. Jesus doesn't care whether you ever go to a Bible study or not. It's not about the Bible study. It's about the heart that you take in and bring out of the Bible study. What about power? Again, relationships that you have where you work. Some of you may be supervisors, managers, owners of businesses. How do you relate to your employees? Master slave? <laughs> A collegial uh, sort of arrangement with the folks? Are you willing to roll up your sleeves and work right beside them? Or are you one of those that says, do it because I said do it this way? How about giving up a person? This one's hard, but sometimes our idols can be people in our lives. Our spouse. You idolize your spouse. You put your spouse before God. You put your children before God. That's not what God wants. He wants you to take care of your children, yes. But if they have first place in your life, something's wrong. What about forgiveness? Are you willing to forgive? Are you willing to put your agenda aside, your hurt feelings from the past aside, and say, I forgive you? Are you? Finally, what about passions? What about that hobby that you have that is all-consuming? There was a man back home that did... Uh, uh, model uh, trains. Well, his entire basement was built like you know, towns and villages and I don't know how many trains, 300 trains or something running. Then it started moving up to the next level of the house where the living room and the dining room and things were. And I mean, it, it became an absolute obsession. What about that sport? What about golf? Maybe, maybe golf is the thing you need to give up. Or tennis. It's easy for us to give up tennis. Um, tennis, golf, uh, uh, gambling, whatever it might be. Ooh, what about your job? Now, that's an important thing. We all have to work. We're all expected to take care of ourselves. But what about when that job becomes more important than God? Been there, done that. As we come to the table today, I'm just going to ask you to think about those things and bring them here. He invites us to come to, to His table. Today's no different than any other day. This is a table of dependence. There's nothing independent here at this table. 
He gave up his life for you to have eternal life. And a rich young ruler was worried about a little money. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he he took bread, just plain, common, ordinary loaf of bread that was served at the meal. He broke it, showed it to his disciples and said, this, this is my body, which is broken for you. I think he knew every motive that we have. He knows what you're holding on to. He knew what the rich young ruler was holding on to. He knows as you're sitting here today what it is that you're holding on to. And his body was broken for that thing. So that you could give up that one thing. Right here. The transaction's going to take place shortly. And he took the cup after the meal and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. He gave it all up for you, for me, for the things we were holding on to in order that we might be free. He invites you to his table. This is, this is not a table for renovation church. This is the Lord's table. And he invites you to come this morning and feast at his table. And I'm going to ask that you do so in a spirit of dependence on him with full knowledge that you know there's something in your life that you need to give up that's standing in the way of you and God you didn't mean for it to take first place but it has taken over first place in your life let's change that today April 29th the day of dependence Come, if you will, to his table. He invites each one of us.